ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to Eleven. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, you are in mourning this morning. I am. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. What um, devastating event has caused you to be in lament? Um, well, the the cliff bars in our church kitchen were only peanut butter crunch. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was disappointing. But um, no, that's just a minor uh, period of mourning. The uh, NFL has kicked off, and um, you know, which is always a glorious time of the year. Mm-hmm. And the Ravens, uh, well, I'm not in total mourning. The Ravens played the Broncos yesterday. Mm-hmm. Now, I was watching the stats. Peyton Manning, going into yesterday's game, has beaten the Ravens <laughs> ten times and only lost once. Yeah. It happened to be the mile-high miracle of the year we won the Super Bowl uh, when Joe Flacco made this absurd, ridiculous uh Pass to Jacoby Jones. So um, when we played them two years ago, mm-hmm. opening game of the season, Peyton Manning uh, threw not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven touchdowns, <laughs> yeah. a career record against us. He didn't throw one touchdown yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a pick six, a uh, interception followed up by a uh, run back from uh, uh, Talib. And then the uh, Ravens got a uh, a pick six as well, Jimmy Smith. But we lost nineteen to thirteen. But the hardest blow, dude, is Terrell mm-hmm. Suggs, who uh, he's up there in years. This is his thirteenth season, but he tore his Achilles, so he's out. Oh, uh, okay. So not only am I dealing with the Ravens' loss to right. open the season, but our probably most well-known defensive player, who, who I don't know if we lose much in terms of his skill set. I didn't see him in on one play yesterday. Mm-hmm. But the young guys, I mean, you got to keep in mind, this is 13th season. Right. So some of the rookie kids that are playing right. were kids when he was playing. Yeah. And they watched him right. you know, become the defensive MVP uh, at least once, if not a couple of times. Um, you know, w- Watched him on these, uh, these great plays. So he's out, and uh, Ravens don't have much of a passing game because mm-hmm. uh, our star, Brashad Perryman, is out. Uh, with a bruised knee, the the worst bruise in the history of the world, apparently, because he's had it for two months. Um, so uh, yeah, it's not fun. But but here's the thing, dude. Mm-hmm. I was prepared yesterday for the Ravens to lose. Okay, I told everybody because I think it's our hardest game of the season. Right. So I knew intellectually it was likely we were going to lose. Right. But at one point we were ahead fourteen to nine. Right. So it was looking optimistic. I'm and, thinking yeah. we're going to actually get the upset in this game, right. and then Flacco threw an interception and. Right. The rest was history. But I'm not going to rip Joe. It's only the first game. and uh, you know, it's, it's still uh, a lot of the season left. And Yep. 15 more games to be played. That's right. 15 more games. And Oakland next week, uh, that should be a win. If it's not, then I'll start hitting the panic button next week. <laughs> yeah. then, then we'll be discussing that on the podcast. Yes, we will. We will. <laughs> and, dude, you hang in with me, great, because I would love to be like you, Nathan, to just... <laughs> Just not care enough, man. Life is, look how happy you look this morning. You're smiling, you're relaxed, and I'm all down and discouraged, but uh, nah, we'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and like you said, it's not so much that you're in mourning. It's it's more of a, a disappointment, and a disappointment from the perspective that it looked like yes. things were going to be good. Yep. So Yeah, if, if we had been trailing the entire game by like 10 points mm-hmm. or, and just never could have caught up, yeah. It's kind of what I would have expected, right? Uh, but to get ahead, right, and to blow it, ouch, painful. 
So um, we are not going to be discussing football this whole podcast. For some of you out there, I know um, some of you have said, "Yeah, the, the sports ones are, are kind of cool," but I, I really don't hang with those. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just, we just need to throw a big name in the title. That's right, or something about Calvinism or something. And then, <laughs> then we'll, the, the, <laughs> yeah, people will start listening. And and we really don't even have to talk about the person. All we need to do is mention them once in the just, podcast. Just one time. And, Ready? We're going to do it right now. Mark Driscoll. That's right. <laughs> Uh, Tully and Chivijian, Be- Benny Hinn. <laughs> so all three of those are going to be in the title of the podcast, yes. and we've covered ourselves. <laughs> Should, exactly. <laughs> no, um, actually, real quick, we've had a uh, two people so far talk to us or, or send in um, a, a Twitter request or a, a question, you know, topic for us to discuss, and we want to make sure that we let you guys know those of you who did that, we are planning on attacking those. One of them was um, about depression um, and um, how do we preach the gospel to people with depression. We touched on that a little bit. Their question was a little more specific. We'll get into that later. Um, We want to wait for um, one of our other guests um, to be able to talk with us about that. And then the other one was with everything that was going on with the same-sex marriage, and and people are going to find me um, extremely ignorant. I don't even know the woman's name. Kim Davis. Kim Davis. Um, it It's familiar, and I know it when people say yeah. it, but I can't pull it off the top of my head because that's how much I have not cared about this. Yes. Um, but it is important to some of our viewers or listeners – Caught myself. Yes. It is important to some of our listeners, um, and we did have someone who wanted us to talk more about that, but they wanted us to have Steve Hartland on. So we're going to have Steve Hartland on in two weeks, Yep, and we're going to wait and save that topic for then. Which, by the way, Nathan, was a a kind way of that person saying, I don't really care what you, Nathan, or Greg (laughs) think. I just want to hear what Steve Hartland... Which I don't blame him. Steve rocks, man. Yeah. Steve rocks. And and, um, out of... Out of all the pastors we've had on, and this isn't a, a good thing or a bad thing, but he's been the one who's been uh, most available with his time yes. that we've been able to get on the most. I would say, Nathan, he loves Jesus more <laughs> than Matt Smith. Well, I think that's clear. And uh, we're not even sure if Dave Shive loves Jesus. Right. So uh, there's not so, even a running there. No. I mean, Dave can't even be in the race. Dave, if you're listening, is that because you're not a Calvinist? Is that is? I didn't say it. I'm just asking. I'm just asking, brother. Um, but no, Steve is, and Steve is actually well. Steve and Matt are both pretty close uh, to uh, our studio. Yes, but uh, you know, Steve drives a Harley, I man, know. so he just can he can get anywhere. It just gives him an excuse to get on his motorcycle. That's right. You know, I bet in the winter months he'll be less available. Yeah. So what <laughs> it's we'll cold outside. Yeah. It is. <laughs> Yeah, you almost uh, had me sing that. You don't want that. Yeah. For me to go that way. Um, so today what we're going to do is we're, we're going to spend our podcast talking about things pastors don't want you to know. Mm. Greg, you and I have, have talked a little bit about this offline, just conversations and things like that. Um, what are some of those things that when you're getting together with someone like Matt or someone like Steve, you guys are talking about? In, in terms of the congregation in general, in terms of the people in the church, things that you see and observe? Yeah, wow. Uh, good question, Nathan. I told you on the ride here this morning that, um, and you can be the, uh, you, you can be my restraining influence here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do not want this to be um, 
a sort of what pastors really want to vent and bash sure. and that's because I'd say in my weaker moments, and I've heard other pastors say this, man, someday if I'm not a pastor, I'm going to come back to a church and tell the church, blah, 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 you know, all these kind of things. Right. And those are normally just born out of moments of frustration and, and burnout and, uh, you know, which everybody experiences in, in some profession and uh, some place in life. But no, there are some things that um, we talk about that I think our, our listeners would find interesting mm-hmm. uh, that are just observations that we have accumulated through the years. Sure. The one that stands out to me, I've got maybe three or four we could hit today, mm-hmm. but but the one that stands out that I think people might find interesting, uh, I remember my first church, uh, Still Meadow, in Catonsville, Maryland, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, really right on the, the border of the city and the county. It was an eclectic church. It was a fun place to be. I was there for six years. Dave Shive was my uh, original senior pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, very early, Dave took a position at uh, a, a local Bible college um, and met with me one morning. I think that was, I may have shared this in the past, but in a, in a span of 24 hours, mm-hmm. Um, I found out, or well, we put a, our offer in on our first house that we ever bought. Yep. And we're waiting to get word. Um, I met with Dave Shive that morning for breakfast, having been at the church as his assistant pastor for a year. And he told me that he was going to resign his position and take a full time position at the Bible College. That was a shocker because mm-hmm. you know that it sort of said things. And I went home to tell Lisa about it, and she met me at the door with a little stick. Uh, that apparently had two lines instead of one. <laughs> and uh, so within 24 hours, you know, we were buying a home. Uh, my job was in flux, at least it seemed at the time, in terms of what would happen at the church, and Lisa was pregnant. So um, that was that was the, uh, the moment uh, that led me to become a probably too young lead pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave and I were co-pastors for about a year, so I... I, I should be careful. In my own life, I mm-hmm. became a lead pastor at 28. Mm-hmm. And looking back on that, I think I was too young. Sure. Um, you know, and I, I I didn't realize it at the time, which was probably helpful to me at the time. Right, right. Harmful to it, others at the time. Ignorance is bliss, right? Yes, yes, for me at least. <laughs> but it was in that phase where, you know, uh, I'm, I'm leading a church. Uh, there are, uh, as I said, the congregation was pretty eclectic mix. Uh, socioeconomically, uh, one of the funnest things is racially. It was about twenty five percent African American, mm-hmm. which was such a, a awesome experience for me. You know, white kid from the suburbs, right? Uh, sort of thrust into this this context I'd never been in uh, in the past, and it was it was a blast. But you find yourself, and I think pastors do this, counting in some way who are my lifers. Yeah. And who are the people that are just here for a while checking it out? Yeah. So I was feeling, looking back, incredibly needy, uh, you know, wanting to know kind of who is here permanently, who mm-hmm. you can rely on to help build the church that you're you're called to serve. And every so often, somebody would come along. They tended to be newer people, and they would say something like this: like, "Greg, man, you are God's man." I am here because you are preaching the word and I am getting it in this way that is so fresh and strong. And I just believe that this church is exactly where I need to be. And it's amazing. You know, you say all the right things. Sure. You defer because you, you don't want to take compliments right. yourself. Well, glory be to God, brother. And, you know, you, you learn all those little things you say. 
um, which we should feel too. Right, but right. I'm saying you 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 kind of learn a a vocabulary to uh, you know dispel praise. But at the same time, in my heart, I'm feeling really good. Yeah, because here is this guy. I now almost 20 years later, I have to guard myself not to go the other way. Sure. I walk away from those conversations and say, that dude's going to be gone in a month. Yeah. And I'd say 85% of the time, it's true. Yeah. It's a strange phenomenon. Yeah. But I, I've talked to so many other pastors, I, all the guys that you just mentioned that are guests on this podcast, mm-hmm. and I'd be curious if there's any pastors that might listen in. I'd love if uh, you know, just to get some sense of you have had that similar experience, yeah, because I think it's one of those things that can discourage pastors. Sure, I'd love to tell everybody that my faith is so perfect and pure that when people leave, it doesn't affect me. Right, it does. Yeah, it does, yeah. and it's it's hard not to take it personally. Right, um, I know that I should not. Right, and by the grace of God, in time, will not. But you do get stung. And I have come to just appreciate you give me the quieter, steady Eddie type mm-hmm. any day. Yeah. Um, that isn't necessarily coming to you after every sermon saying you hit a grand slam. Sure. Isn't necessarily, you know, isn't necessarily telling you you're the next, uh, you know, Billy Graham or, uh, you know, the next uh, John MacArthur or the, the perfect yeah. pastor in, in somebody's mind. They're just there. Yeah. Um, they're faithful. They're serving. They're involved in other people. And I, um, I, I, I will venture a guess and see what you think, Nathan, sure. of, of this, as you've been here at CFC sometime. My guess, and I'm psychoanalyzing a bit, mm-hmm. is that the person that is that uh, especially enthusiastic uh, when talking to the pastor is that way because they are overcompensating. Yeah. That I, I sometimes wonder, do they harbor a, a fear that I don't have much staying power? Yeah. You know, and I am inclined to hop from church to church. So I need to just pour it on. Yeah. In maybe an effort to persuade themselves. Sure. I, I'm saying that because I'm hoping that's a charitable assessment. Right. A less charitable one would be they're just lying. And I, right. I don't think that's the case. No, yeah. yeah. So that, that's my theory. Yeah, no. And I think I, I think unfortunately there, there are a few things going on with that. And you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. I think you're right. I think one of those things is taking a look at the the person's not that you need to do a background check on people that come in the church. <laughs> that would be great. Wouldn't it? I know, right? If, if you have your smartphone, there's really quick uh, before you say, "Could you give me your social?" Uh, and then just keep talking. But That's yeah. right. No, but just um, in terms of their history in the church, you know, looking at that and seeing. All right, you've been in seven different churches in seven different months here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- there's clearly something wrong, right? You know, and to me, like as the larger body of Christ, um, may, take a little bunny trail here. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's something wrong with that, and as a church, um, as people coming into the church. Uh, I'll throw this back at you, Greg. Is that something that we should be addressing as a church? Wow. That, you know, people coming into the church and, and getting to know them, getting to know their history, getting to know their background, mm-hmm. not, not like a job interview, but for the sake of, of being in that community, being in fellowship with people yeah. who love you and who are going to take care of you. Um, we talk about the importance of community groups. Well, if, if you're jumping ship after a month. Agreed. Um, you don't have time to get set up and plugged in and hooked up and really get invested yeah. 
in the body of Christ. It, dude, exactly. Um, exactly. And so are those things that um, as church leadership, and I'll throw that back on church yeah. leadership in general, maybe um, church leadership should be exploring more. It's like, yeah. hey, you know what? We love your enthusiasm. Why don't you go ahead and, and just take a year yeah. to get to know the people in the church before yeah. you start volunteering and signing up for things right. and, and jumping in? You know, Just take a year. Get involved in a community group. You know, start in a passive role and get involved in a community group, get to know people, um, you know, get to know the pastor, get to know the doctrine and the theology. If you can mesh with those things, if you can mesh with the philosophy of the church and, you know, before you dive right in and, you know, you find out, oh, well, you know, I I thought this was what it was and now I'm seeing it's really this. And so I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah. Get plugged in, get involved, and and just enjoy being in the church, and then start seeing, hey, where can I serve? Are those things that maybe church leadership should be looking at with that new guy yeah. and saying, you know, the little light goes on, okay, seven churches, seven months, there's a problem, oh, and yeah. maybe even addressing it right then and there. It's yes. like, we're, we're concerned for you. Yeah. Um, you go ahead and... Great points, Nathan. I can tell you for a fact that when... In in this church, this is my second church, you know, that I've been here, wow, it's unbelievable, 12 years. Yeah. You know, for the longest time, uh, my former church, you know, uh, which I was there for six, was the uh, church by which this one was measured. Well, you know, I've been here two years at CSU. Right. Now we've been here at Christ Fellowship 12 years, literally twice as long. And yeah. It's, it's been quite a quite a ride, and uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for it. Uh, as a church planter, which is what I was when I came here, um, and maybe some people don't want to admit this, warm bodies uh, that sit in your seats mm-hmm. and attend your church and bulk up its critical mass um, become incredibly appealing to the yeah. younger church planter because you think, well, they're here. Mm-hmm. And um, it takes a great deal of courage to really assess whether a person is here because I call it new girlfriend syndrome. Sure. You know, it's the, yeah. the uh, well, my old girlfriend, we broke up, and all the things that annoyed the guy um, about her persona, um, well, just going somewhere different, right. the new girl is different, and right. you just love her, and the guy isn't realizing it's going to take a while for the new personal right. quirks to get under your skin as well. Um, those are things I intellectually was aware of, but you're so tempted to not address hard things yeah. because, wow, you know, last week we had 24 people. This week we have 36 people. Sure. And that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. You know, we've jumped 12. And um, those warm bodies become just what they are. And that's not a healthy way to approach church planting. But I think the majority of church planters would be lying if they said it's not a temptation they face. Right. So here we are. Uh, 12 years into it, and I think most of what you're mentioning, Nathan, can be addressed through a healthy membership process, Yeah, whatever that might look like. And what you laid out is pretty similar to where we are. I mean, one of the things where we are now, Nathan, at Christ Fellowship, and this is just our church, we're an independent evangelical church, mm-hmm. is to um, uh, require, this is a newer for us in mm-hmm. the last few years, part of church membership is involvement in a community group. Yeah. Um, and that's not something that we uh, would look at other churches and say they have to do that. This mm-hmm. is where we've arrived in our little corner of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. This is what we are doing. We're saying to people now, 
uh, tell you what, there's not even a point in setting up the membership interview. Because, as you know, we have a class here called ECF, yep. uh, which is our membership class, basically, Exploring Christ Fellowship Church. So what we say now is you have to take that class, because mm-hmm. that's where you go over that four-hour Saturday morning class, doctrine, yep. uh, vision, distinctives, leadership. And uh, there's a membership profile that you fill out on your background, your testimony, previous churches, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, one of the questions we ask is, have you left your former church, if you're coming from a former church, in a healthy manner. Mm-hmm. If you have questions about that, let us know. And we, we go over that at the uh, membership interview. And in addition to that, now we're saying there's no point in even having that interview until you've already joined a community group. Right. Because the way we feel is, you know, all the one another's in scripture, you just can't do them 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Right. I think I'm stealing Jeff Vanderstelt for anybody that knows his stuff with Soma. It's, it's great stuff. But he's still right on that. You just can't yeah. do the one another's. The one another's have to be done in, in, in relationships. So we've kind of put our eggs in that basket at Christ Fellowship yeah. Community Groups. So now our membership process looks different than it did a few years ago. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, I mean, we didn't really even have – I mean, you, you could have technically been here a week right. if it happened to be right before that membership class, right. which we offer two or three times a year. You could have taken the membership class, had an interview the next week. You could have been here for two weeks and become a member. We, yeah. we knew – I don't know if that ever happened quite like that. Right. But it was a theoretical possibility. And to, to your point, how in two weeks, number one, does the person really have any sense what the church is about? Yeah. yeah. No way. You, you need to be in a church, in my opinion, at least six months yeah. at least to get a feel. Yeah. What have you come on a Sunday where the, the preacher gives a topical sermon? Right. Um, you know, I did one just two weeks ago between First Peter and, and beginning Joshua, yeah. which was uh, really on uh, Jesus is better than mm-hmm. anything. You know, it was a kind of a beholding Christ theme. That may have spoken to that person that day. So right. much, man, every week I'm going to hear maybe that particular message right. or something. And the next week they come back and you're resuming land surveys in Joshua right. 13. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or pathetically. Right. <laughs> um, so there, there's a case where the person needs time to yeah. explore the church, and it also gives the church itself and the church leaders an opportunity to say, hey, is this guy here because, frankly, we're the new girlfriend? Right. Everything looks great because you know, we're not the old girlfriend. Right. Um, and it also gives us time to explore, and this is what we do now in the membership interview, we'll say, hey, I know it's a sensitive subject. Tell us about your former church. Yeah. Why did you leave? Um and when you left, did you speak with, with those leaders? Right. Did you? Because so often people don't. And right. I, that gives me a chance to say, let me tell you, on a personal level, when you look out your congregation and somebody says, hey, where are the, uh, well, gosh, I want to say Smiths, Millers, or Jones. And I think we have all those right, members right. here at some point. <laughs> so where are the Lipinskis? There I don't think go. we have one of those. <laughs> Where are the Lipinskis? I haven't seen them for three weeks, for six weeks, for, for the whole summer. Yeah. And then you find out later through Grapevine, oh, they left, and they never came and talked. Right. Uh, so I will use that to say, hey, I can just tell you for a fact, you need to, to go back. Can I help with that? Yeah. Can I help broker that conversation in any way? Is there a reconciliation that needs to take place? Um, those kinds of things. Because you're right, if we don't have a careful process – then people can come in both barrels of blazing, right? And you don't know what's going on, right? Well, and two, I feel like being able to get to know people, um, and actually, Greg, you, um, we just did a podcast with uh, Calvinist Batman, yeah, 
earlier. That was fun, man. And um, one of the things that he had talked about was, you know, making sure that you get people. Um, you know, we talked about grace. We talked about um, a bunch of different stuff, guys. You're gonna go check out the podcast. Um, he's already posted it by this point that we're posting ours. So yeah. go check out Calvinist Batman's podcast. Um, and one of the things that he mentioned was um, with having um, if if pastors fall into a scandal, yeah. making sure that people are validating them when it's time to return. Not yes. the pastor's own validation, but that there are others who are validating them yeah. saying, you know, you really should consider returning. You know, we really believe that God's calling you to this. And one of the things that I said to him was, I think we should be doing that regardless of yeah. whether there's a scandal or not. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going into college, um, having people validate and confirm for you that, you know what, yeah, I should be going into medical studies or I should be going yeah. into, you know, uh, sciences, I should be going into languages, whatever it might be, making sure that you have a group of people who can validate and who can support you in decisions that you're making Absolutely. and confirm things for you. And so if you're here for two weeks, how do you build those relationships where people can validate and support you in things that, that they see in terms of ministry and giftedness and, you know, and, and I know there are all these tests out there. And for those of you who, you know, take these ministry tests and things like that, yeah. no offense to you, but I can't stand them. <laughs> I can't stand Dude, them. We should um, do that as the, the spiritual gifts yeah, test. I, you know, I just, I, I said it yesterday. Um, Joy has told me on many occasions, I'm very self-assured of myself. And so those things that I just, I can't stand, I don't like. Yeah. Part of the reason why I think I'm so confident in decisions that I make is because I have people around me who are who are honest with me about things. Yeah. When I when I say things, when I talk about things, people are questioning me and challenging me in those decisions, whether yeah. good or bad, saying, yeah, I think you would be a good fit in this role. I think you should go for it. Or have you considered this possibility and this option? Because yeah. I don't quite see you fitting out in this role. Agreed. Um, and, and, and that's what you need people for. And so when you go to serve in the church, um, you know, like going to serve in the nursery, well, I'm sorry, if people are constantly looking at you saying, I really don't think you should be serving in the nursery, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. you really want to serve in the nursery, yeah. taking that under advisement and saying, okay, well, where do you think I could serve best? Right. Yeah. And getting that feedback and information. You can't do that if you're constantly hopping around and going in different places. And when you're in, and Greg, you know this better than anyone, when you're stuck doing uh, a volunteer ministry service yeah. that you're not enjoying. Yeah. There is no faster way to get burned out. <laughs> no, no, absolutely, dude. I mean, it's the truth. I, uh, you're on to something here, Nathan. I think what you're, everything you're saying really speaks to the motive a person should bring in joining a church to begin with, yeah. which I think often people think, I mean, it's just who we are. We, we all, all of us pastors who have a consumeristic mindset, do I like the dispensable goods? Yeah. The worship, the church, etc. What you're really asking when you're talking about the church, the church is the people. Yeah, it, they're not just blank faces, right. Sitting on the same row you are in in church. Um, so, how, in a sense, can you determine to join a church until you've really taken the time to know its people? Yeah, and really get the sense of that church culture, um, that church uh, togetherness, their 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 understanding of why mm -hmm. they're here together, what they are seeking to be and to do. 
And I think that's a, uh, a, a critical point because you're right. In life, the best decisions we make are surrounded by other people. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible is very clear, the wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So to come in and say, I like that pastor, I like that worship leader, um, I like that children's program, okay, that's a start. Right. That's a start. And I think it's a legitimate start. Right. Because you're, you're, you, you know nothing else. Right. These are the only observable things that you can see. Uh, but you need that time to blend right. in with the people, get connected relationally with them. And maybe even, I think your point is ask them. Yeah. I can say this. There is a person in the last year or two, family that came in here, who knew some other families. This is really cool. Mm-hmm. And one particular family that has already been here came to me and said, Greg, this guy should not be here. And at first I was thinking, well, okay, if you're going to tell me something scandalous, let, let's step back and right. think about how to approach this. And he said, no, 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 it's, it's nothing like that at all. He said, the guy just doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And it had to do, you know, he said, for instance, Greg, I mean, you're, you're pretty upfront um, uh, that, that you're a, a pretty big, you know, Christian liberties guy. Right. I, I think people realize that if they listened in that even to this podcast for any length of time and that that in in many ways is is part of our culture at the church right uh i think that there's that's a shared understanding this guy is is very different than that Mm -hmm. and in this area this area and that area um so his thought i just appreciated his instinct was to talk to him and say you know call the guy jim Mm -hmm. jim is is this the best church for you because what he didn't want is for him to come in too quickly, right. join too quickly, and find out in six months, oh, this isn't a fit for right. um, That's not Now, if you're doing that with an attitude, oh, I don't like the guy, I want to drive him out, right. that, that's obviously right. unhealthy. But if it really is, this isn't going to serve you. Right. This is not going to be the place where you shine. Irony, quick, quick little mm-hmm. twist, this particular individual has changed mm. um, and may have been changing as a result of coming here. He's had some experiences in life. That have, uh, in my opinion, softened some edges yeah. um, and given him a different perspective. So, uh, I, I I love that to count yeah. on the church to kind of be engaged with the people that come. Yeah. And if somebody says, "How come every week we don't have an altar call mm-hmm. for people in the church, not just leaders?" Oh, that's not what we do here. Right. That's not what we do here. Right. You know, we're we're much more about presenting Christ, trusting that. Christ is going to be clearly communicated, of course, from the pulpit, but also in our relationships, in our right. community groups, um, that we're just trying to engage with people relationally, one-on-one, right. and share Christ in that way. For people to say that, and it never even gets to, quote, the pastor, right. unquote, or the elders, right. uh, is is so healthy. Yeah. Because people then understand what the church is about. Right. Well, and at the end of the day, I mean, if you think about and let's look at this from a realistic perspective. How many random strangers walk off the street into a church? Right. It, come on, let's be real. Yeah. That, that really, you know, unless you're down in the inner city where somebody's walking by and they can hear the singing, right. that probably almost never happens. Sure. And so the, the people that we're talking about who are unbelievers who are coming into the church are somebody that I've invited or that you've invited, their friends, yeah. their family that that don't know Christ and we want them to hear Christ. And so an altar call doesn't serve anything because it's it to me, it's very impersonal. Yeah. So what happens is they go and they hear the message and something's stirring in them. 
you go out to lunch afterwards and that's where you talk about it. Agreed. That's Agreed. where you have that relationship where you as their friend, you as their family member can sit down and answer the questions that they have about yeah. the service and, and, and talk to them more fully and unpack more fully what was just preached. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's something that was people that are here and they've really committed. You count on, they know that. Yeah. And they, they're they the best interpreters for newer people that come. Yeah. Uh, to explain that about our mission and our vision. And, um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big, big, um, sometimes missing piece mm-hmm. in the life is that people say, well, just let the leadership deal with that. I mean, the leadership right. does have to deal with things, but there's some things that just, man, when I hear that those conversations have taken place, it's the healthy, yeah. they're getting the best experience of the, the true church. Right. Because they're talking to the people. Um, before I lose it, dude, I did yeah. want to mention the second, the second thing. Yeah. Now this is a little edgier. Sure. So maybe we should have started with this. So we'll just put it in the title. There you go. So you can guide me on this, Nathan, to make okay. sure I, I walk a line sure. carefully. One of the things I talk with pastors about sometimes that, um, is just a, it's a challenge. You, you, there's no way to do it. It's sort of like if you have to preach on uh, first Timothy mm-hmm. that talks about a pastor's salary, or sure. if you have to talk about Hebrews, uh, you know, uh, 13 and passages that say, obey your leaders. Right. Like you never want to, I mean, I mean, you'll do it if you right. preach uh, expositional preaching, but it's awkward. Yeah. Um, Hey, I know I happen to be one of these leaders right. <laughs> that should get paid. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I know I am one of these leaders that, uh, the Bible says should be honored. Um, right. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do. It's just so awkward. Yeah. Um, that you, most pastors want to bring in the pastor emeritus. Sure. Sure. <laughs> the outside guest. I'm going to be gone this week yes. and so-and-so is going to be preaching on yes. this. They're going to be preaching all the hard passages for the next 20 weeks. That's right. <laughs> while I'm in Bora Bora. Um, little note to the trustees there. Um, the other, uh, the, the issue here that I'm, I'm driving at, this is why it's awkward. It feels like those kinds of sermons. Right. Um, most pastors have uh, done some degree of training, whether that's college or seminary. In some cases, it may just be uh, accrued from self-learning. I mean, I want to, Spurgeon was self-taught. Uh, I think had a, a supreme education. I think you can tell come, comes through his preaching. Mm-hmm. So whatever that was, there there is some sense of there was a period of specialized concentration right. to prepare for pastoral ministry. Uh, so that's that's part of it. Um, the other part of it is that while the pastor is getting that OJT, he's picking up experiences, etc., because that is his life. His yeah. life is about the church, thinking about the church. This is where it gets difficult. Um, to what degree does a pastor have, I think in the corporate world, he's the, the SME. I think it's the subject sure. matter expert. Uh, heard that from my father-in-law who was an engineer and always talked about, we need a SME. Right, right. I was like, well, SME? Almost, is that like a bad That's word? That's like Captain Hook. Yeah. SME! <laughs> SME! <laughs> right? I might need to laugh for 10 minutes. You take that out in the post. But yeah, there there is that sense in which um, you know, if, if I'm in a room mm-hmm. uh, with a committee of some sort sure, and there is a discussion um, involving the building, mm-hmm. structural issues, and one of those guys happens to be a civil engineer, right? Um, everybody's going to have opinions. Everybody's a bright thinking person that probably knows something sure. about, you know, well, I know this company – Fix my brother's house, and they did a great job. Somebody might might share. Well, I've done a little electrical work, and I notice this. 
And at some point when the civil engineer speaks, mm-hmm. there's going to be a sense of, hey, let's listen. Right. Because there's an experience, there's an education there, etc. I find pastors never want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. I'm even even with you, Nathan, as comfortable as our, we are in right. our friendship, just doing this on the podcast. Yeah. Wow, dude. I'm feeling some flutter talking about this subject because you're afraid to sound self-serving. I have been in situations, and I've talked to other pastors that have been too, where you're dealing with an issue that is biblical slash scriptural. Sure. And there's a sense, though, where all of a sudden the quote-unquote expertise of evaporates. Yeah. Because everybody, and and I understand it, is a Christian. Right. Everybody reads the word, etc., um, and it, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's an awkward place to be because you never want to say, well, by the way, um, I've trained and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that, that, that just seems patently right. arrogant on the face of right. it. So it's a, it's a strange issue pastors face. Yeah. It can happen in a committee. It can happen in a, a, in a group setting. This is where it gets really tricky, and this is why I'm bringing it to a head. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say complimentary things, mm-hmm. with, uh, maybe about a sermon I've given. Sure. Or, Greg, I love the way you preach because of et cetera, et cetera. Then in another venue, when you are saying to somebody that disagrees with you, I think we should consider A, B, and C. Right. Um, I had a person not long ago say to me, well, I mean, I can't. I mean, I don't want to go dueling Bible passages with you. Um and and I remember thinking, well, I'm not I'm not trying to outdo. I'm trying to teach. Right. I'm I'm trying to teach you. So what I'm finding is, a lot of times people will say, "Man, I love your preaching." And I think what they mean, if I can be p- totally honest, is, I love the commodity mm-hmm. of your preaching. Right. I remember when the Ravens years ago had a running back, Jamal Lewis. Now Jamal Lewis had a ton of off the field issues, mm-hmm. legal, moral, ethical issues that. Made him not everybody's favorite guy, myself right. included. Uh, I would admit, as a fan, when mm-hmm. he was on the field and he rushed 2,000 yards one season, I didn't care. Right. When he put up uh, 300 yards against the Cleveland Browns one one game, I didn't care. Right. Um, and it would sort of be like, okay, now that guy comes off the field and he's going to teach you how to be a running back. Right. And you're not interested. Right. You, know, you want to watch him on the field, this right. commodity called right. Jamal Lewis. That but you want nothing to do with him in, off the field yes. because of whatever. It's like all of a sudden his teaching power is yeah. gone because he's not in the pulpit, which makes me think, I think what people are saying is, I like your style. Right. I like um, uh, the, the manner sure. of your preaching. But I will say, Nathan, it is a perplexing thing for me. It's yeah. a frustration. I, all the caveats out there for anybody listening. Sure. No, a pastor is not a pope. Right. Yes, pastors are wrong. Right. Regularly wrong. I can testify to that personally. It's a, it's an attitudinal issue that I've noticed. Sure. Uh, that is concerning me. That well, yeah, the pastor in the pulpit, yeah, great teacher, great you know, great leader. Uh, outside of the pulpit, when I'm talking to one on one, and I don't agree with them, all that just seems to be gone. Sure. And and it's uh, I'm not sure it's healthy. No, and and I agree. Um, have I think we've talked about this before, not on the podcast, but have you ever read J.P. Moreland's book, um, 
love love your God with all your mind or love the Lord your God with all your mind, something like that. It's somewhere on one of those shelves. He makes an interesting... Doesn't mean I've read it. Right. <laughs> but tell Fair me. enough. Yeah. He makes an interesting point. It, it's actually one of my favorite books that got me to think more deeply about apologetics and um, more than just... Uh, arguing because I was always a talented arguer. Oh. Um, I I could you know be explaining to people why the sky is green and they would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. you know I, I was very talented at doing that, at convincing people of my position, even if it's wrong. Yeah. Um, but he got me thinking more about um, serious apologetics and the truth of behind the apologetics. Right. Um, and one of the things that he mentions is a decline in society from a time where pastors were sought out right in every venue of life right to to hold answers and they were highly regarded yeah to where they are now where they're looked upon as as morons basically right like right. you serve this one dimensional f- purpose and function behind the pulpit and anything outside of that is completely irrelevant what you have to say interesting um, and I think he's on to something there where at one point in American society, pastors were looked upon as not just the theological mm-hmm. intellectuals, but it was understood that their theology made them better at other things. Interesting. And so their views on life and on um, even – even ju- and I guess, I guess what it would tie into is the wisdom that they brought to any m- subject matter yeah. was valued. Right. Not that they were right in everything, but you study the word. You're in the word constantly. You are gaining wisdom through God's word. And so, yeah, you might not be a structural engineer who understands, but you have wisdom when it comes to – when it comes to life and when it comes to building, you have an intelligent mind that you can rationalize and yeah. think things out. And so your opinion would be regarded as as worthy to be counted amongst everyone else's. Right. Right. And I think I think what we're seeing is is that decline come to fruition where people just one dimensionalize and say, Yeah, you got this degree and it has to do with the Bible, but you know, I've been reading the Bible since I was eight years old. Sure. And, sure. and so I can see the scripture just as plainly as you can. And, right. Um I'm reminded, Greg, of when you and I sat down, was it four, maybe five years ago, and and just talked about um, women in ministry. Uh huh. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is kind of a teaser because I I have no issues with women holding equal roles in ministry as men. Yep. And you and I just sat down, and I remember that being one of the greatest conversations yeah. that we had. Wasn't that at the Perry Hall Starbucks? It was. I remember that. Yep. It was. I did. You remember the Starbucks? I remember the conversation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's that terrible. I don't remember what Nathan said. But I remember having a delicious, smooth latte. No, no, I do remember. Yeah, no, yeah, it, yeah. I just I remember that being great because I valued your, and I still do value yeah. your opinion and your teaching in Scripture. Yeah, and and you know what we said at the end of it was I just. I can't get beyond this conviction that sure. I have. Yeah. For me, this is a conscience issue. This is a conviction issue. I can't get beyond it. I see it. I agree with it. But I also see where in Scripture these things are brought to light. And right. so I can't, I can't get beyond those. I can't seem to, to reconcile those things. Yeah. Um, 
And, and to me, like that was a healthy conversation that we had. I mean, yeah. that was a two day conversation. Yeah, that we had. Right. Right. Um, that was just, that was great because at the end of it, it wasn't like, Oh no, your opinion doesn't matter. No, I, I valued your opinion more than anyone else because that's why example. I came to you. It's a great example. Um, but I, but I couldn't get over, uh, what I saw as as the scripture not being able to reconcile it to your viewpoint. Yes, um, yeah. That Nathan is a great example because it it captures the 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 goal is not to say that pastors have to be right on every argument. Yeah, or win. It's a it's an approach because look, obviously, I mean, take any issue. It's what we do on this podcast. Right. Any issue at all, spiritual gifts, like we talked about with Calvin as Batman. Uh, forms of church government, yeah. Um, uh, you know the whole complementarian egalitarian thing yeah. that you just referenced, and and uh, here you are, Nathan, uh, a committed member of a complementarian church mm-hmm. where you know that the elders are are men, yeah. uh, and you've expressed your view. You've, I mean, it's 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 a healthy picture. There's a, a sense, there's deference to the church, to the vision, right. the leaders. There's also a sense of ability to express differences, yeah. and that's really what what I'm I'm getting at. It maybe Nathan a you know the pendulum is always swinging, or yeah. the Luther's drunken peasant analogy. Right, you know, right. He's always leaning on one side too far. He maybe overcompensates. You know, we're trying to walk the straight and narrow. Um, obviously, prior to the Reformation, sure. you know, the, the priest was everything. Right, um, the only people that could really read the Bible. Teach the Bible, interpret the Bible authoritatively. Of course, Luther, you know, and uh, the entire Reformation blows up, and one of the battle cries that emerges is the priesthood of all believers. Yeah, which to me is just First Peter two, right? We're, right. We're we're a kingdom of priests. Um, all of us are um, are uh, able to understand the Bible, mm-hmm. have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. I mean, some incredible things that the Bible should be in the hands of the people. Amen and amen. Right. Um, there can be a pendulum that swings so far the other way yeah. that it becomes to the point that, I mean, in a sense, in the ultimate sense, if you take it too far, why do you even need leaders? Right. Yet the New Testament's quite clear. Right. That, you know, they Acts fourteen, they appointed elders in every church. Yep. Uh, Titus one, you know, uh, Titus go appoint elders in every city as I, as I instructed you. So you've got. You know, First uh, Timothy three. You know the qualifications for elders and deacons. Titus one, same thing. So obviously, there's a sense in which the healthy balance is there is the priesthood of all believers. Mm-hmm. All of us have access to the same word. All of us have the Holy Spirit. Yet there are also leaders. So apparently, God deemed that even in a kingdom where everybody has access to the word, there should still be leaders. Right. Just a a, a worthwhile. Um, issue to linger on a little longer, yeah. I think, because this is a an issue that I think pastors, especially, and again behind closed doors, I've talked about this with many of them. Right, you don't know what to do because what are you going to say? Right, hey, uh, I've I've been in this for thirty years. Right, can you trust my opinion on this? Right, um, it's very difficult too when you really see a conversation going in a direction that you don't think is healthy. Right. And you, and you're probably right. Yeah. Because 10 years ago you went down that path. Yeah. You experienced the the blow up and you've accumulated wisdom and but you never want to be in a spot where you're demanding people acknowledge right. your wisdom. Right. The healthiest thing is when people have what you said this sense uh as they did as Moreland's point was that hey, 
maybe we should listen. Yeah. Let, let's factor this into this larger conversation. Yeah. And part of that, Nathan, to, to take it on the chin is I think some of the reason is pastors have shot themselves in the foot. Sure. Um, and I think there is a reason why, uh, quite admittedly, that maybe there isn't the level of respect that there was at one point. Sure. I think some of it may be the fact that, um, wow, this is a, a big one, but uh, a number of pastors don't have much interest in maybe deeper thinking and right. theology and, and thinking about how the Word of God impacts every area of life. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I talked to a man, uh, not long ago who said, um, he wanted to understand a little bit more about dispensationalism and, uh, covenant theology. Cause some of his friends, you know, probably on mm-hmm. a you know, reform pub or wherever yeah. they were listening at, had caught this. And, um, so he went to his pastor, uh, to ask him and his pastor told him, I don't, I don't know what any of those things are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. That's a question mark right there. But then the next thing is, you don't need to waste your time with any anything like that. It's all it's just Jesus. Just love Jesus. Um, I did not. I, I will not unless I hear pure heresy bash another pastor when a right. person comes. So it put me in sort of an awkward spot. Right. The person said, "What? What do I do?" Um, and I thought I was really disappointed. Yeah. That I. I'm just going to say it. I think a pastor. No, no, he doesn't need to have a PhD. No, he doesn't right. have to know the finer points of the newest theological right. trend. But these are some things a pastor should know. Sure. So it may be that one of the things that's happened, Nathan, is as pastors have become more pragmatist mm-hmm. uh, in their approach. Sure. Uh, and it's more just about being a, an ecclesiastical engineer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how to build a big church. Right. How to draw a crowd. How to get people in small groups. Yeah, those are things I think a pastor does, but I think a pastor also has to be a thinker yeah. and uh, has to be a reader right. and one who studies and one who understands, P- particularly a, a teaching pastor. Right. I want to be cautious there. I mean, I, I think that's true across the board, right. but particularly a teaching pastor. Right. Well, and I think to your point too, Greg, that um, I've I've come to be um, less harsh on pastors because I thought they should know everything. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm also... I've come to appreciate a pastor who says, you know what? I, I actually, I don't know much about that, yeah. but I'm willing to learn. Bingo. I'm willing to learn. Exactly. I'm willing to find out, you know, they, they don't know, you know, what the finer points of apologetic arguments are, you know, yeah. pre whatever and, you know, all that stuff. But it's yeah. like, you know what? I, I think, I think that's worthwhile looking into. And yeah. so I'm going to look into that and I'm going to find out what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Because it- that's important to, my congregation that's important to my sheep exactly you know i mean we look at christ as the ultimate shepherd we look at pastors as lesser shepherds yes and so the shepherd being willing to say you know what this is an area that my sheep are deficient and yeah. so we need to we need to boost this up and we yeah. need to improve in this absolutely nathan absolutely and it may be in some cases where uh, somebody comes this has happened to me before in the past and you know where somebody has a yeah i've been reading and, and here's a christian who's serious about the word they're digging in. They're on a one-year Bible reading plan, mm-hmm. and they're in some obscure Second Kings passage, yeah. and they're trying to make sense. And your first thought is, "My word, I don't even think I know the story." Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> so it's uh, believe me, I, I've been on that end, and it's very humbling. Yeah, but there's the sense in which you know you communicate. I, I, I know uh, what I need to learn. Right. I'm going to do it 
for you, to serve you, etc. Right. So that's what I mean by, in some sense, you know, pastors or anything. You've got pastors today, Nathan, calling themselves life coaches. Yeah. You know, and I, I saw one guy was in an interview on a cable show, and uh, they said to him, yeah, you don't mention a lot of the Bible in your sermons. And he goes, and they said, which is strange for a pastor. And he said, now, now hold on a second. I like to call myself a life coach, not a pastor. And so you, you've got a whole breed of quote unquote pastors that are life coaches or yeah. they're, they're business uh, moguls. They're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're pop psychologists. Right. They're, they're everything under the sun that I do understand. I really do. Right. Why there may be a perception of, well, what's the pastor going to have to say about this? Right. I can go on the internet right. and research this. So some of it is self-inflicted. Right. I think. Well, and I think too, um, you just uh, finished first Peter mm-hmm. and the whole emphasis on first Peter is submission. Yeah. Huge. And, and so to your point, when talking about submission, you know, you talked about Hebrews, you know, yeah. pastors and submitting to the authority of pastorship. How much of as Americans do we like to submit? No, no. And as Christian Americans, you know, we we have that revolutionary um, disease yeah. flowing through our heart that we're going to rise up against the evil yep. and fight it down at every turn, yep. no matter the cost. Instead of saying, you know what, God has a better plan. Yeah. And whether I am, I'm at work and I have a boss who's a douchebag. Yeah. I'm going to submit to him <laughs> if. I'm at church and I, I disagree with my pastor. I'm going to submit to them because God has placed them. Not yeah. not they've placed themselves. Right. God has placed them right. in that position of authority. Right. Right. Yeah. That's you're so it's it's you're spot on. I mean, I feel it. Uh, my daughter's on a varsity team. She, the coach is really good, but I've been in that spot before where you. You uh, you know the coach lays out well. For instance, this coach this year, mm-hmm. varsity coach, has said from the start, "It's a varsity team. The school um, wants me to try, like any coach, to win the state championship. Yeah, it's not JV, right. which is a little more developmental. And uh, this is something that, please, he said, parents don't come to me about playing time. Yeah, your child's made the team. Other people were cut, so obviously we see value." That that kid might get a lot of time. They might get little time. There right. might be games where they get no time. Right. And so I hear that intellectually and think, good. But if my kid gets no time, I feel this little protesting right. man rise up and say, wait a minute. Right. Because um, you're right. There is a sense in which, yeah, I'll entrust someone to your authority uh, as long as I agree. Right. Which is, isn't really entrusted. Right. Yeah, that's just agreement. I'll, I'll submit as long as I agree with everything yes, you said. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the first time there's disagreement, uh, the, uh, the gloves are off. Right. So, um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. How are we doing on time, bro? This has been great. Um, we have uh, we're at 54 minutes right now. Okay. So, two questions I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, the first one is, Greg, in your uh, pastoral duties, in your time that you've been a pastor, you've seen people come and. Uh, I'm sure you've seen, uh, you have pet peeves of, of things people will come to you with or ways they will come to you uh, and approach yeah. you. Yeah. I want you to, you don't have, don't give specifics, don't give specific names or anything like that. But in general, what is something that as a pastor, when someone comes to you has been a real turnoff in their approach or Ooh, in the manner, question. criticism, whatever it is, yeah. um, what has been a turnoff for you where you almost just kind of shut them out and, and block them? Because you're human. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. And I know when people come to me in, an, in a negative light, 
it's almost like, you know what? I don't even care what you say. I don't care what you think. I don't like you. And so I'm not going to pay attention to you. Yeah. Um, what are some ways in which people have done that to you? Great question, Nathan. The first way I would say is, um, is (laughs) sort of getting bigger pictures by not coming. Mm -hmm. Um, that I'm amazed at the number of people that have been Christians for a long time. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to see when you have a problem with a person, you go to them. I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. that's written somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and I think everybody knows that, but yeah. it's amazing how self-deception can set in so quickly where, well, my case is different. I'm not right. going to go because of blank. And, right. You know, fill in the blank there. Uh, so the first thing is I, I'm, I'm trying to appreciate, even in a hard situation, a hard conversation, that the person does come. Yeah. So I will normally now uh, try to commend the person at some point. Thank you for just coming. And I'll mm-hmm. say, because there are a number of people that I, I hear through the grapevine have frustrations or they're upset, but they never come. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's hard. Yeah. That's really hard. So th- now, to your point, a person can still come right. and still not do it well. One of the ways that... Um, that drives me nuts is when the person shares a concern in a way where they say this and many people feel this way. I've learned many people means two. Yeah. And it's often that person and their spouse Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe a friend that they've already filled in. So I want to say to the person, look, you're coming alone. Don't try to bolster your point by the nameless masses. Right. You're not going to tell me their names, so I'm not going to have any opportunity to right. go to that person. So in a sense, let those people do what you're doing. Right. If they do exist, right. uh, and, and they probably do, but I, many people I've learned, that's uh, some pastors I said, yeah, many people means two or three. Yeah. Um, because in a sense, they're coming in such a way to almost signal you, your entire church is melting down. Right. And I'm letting you know. Um, I would just say whatever the personal issue is, share it as your own. Sure. I've been confused by this. I've been hurt by this. I've been frustrated by this. Then it opens the doorway to hopefully a healthy conversation sure. that might even lead to resolve. Right. That's the point. The second thing, Nathan, that I think is an unhealthy way is um, – and this is more of a heart issue and, and – um, I, I've now usually can tell within five or ten minutes of the conversation if the person is open to factoring information that I have. Sure. Because I have found when a person says, I'm upset about blank. Oh, right. okay, well, you know what? I'm glad to tell you that actually isn't what happened. Yeah. What happened was, and you fill them with information, you can normally tell if the person changes, but oh, okay, well, that, that helps me. Thank you. I, I'm still a little confused about X, Y, and Z. But when the person almost dismisses it, well, still, blah, blah, blah. Right. I'm thinking, okay, you're really not here yeah. um, to, to, to get to a better place. Yeah. You're here to, to vent. Right. And you're here to – I'm not saying – again, I'd still rather them be venting to me right. if I'm the source of the frustration. Um, but I think the healthier option is I'm coming with an open hand and open mind. Right. To, to do it. So my positives are just that. Yeah. You come, you don't invite other nameless people right. as part of your sort of grand conspiracy right. to pressure the pastor into something. Uh, 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 into something. And I think to show some degree, because I can tell within five or ten minutes, this is what I'm saying, if I have been one-dimensionalized right. as the bad guy. Right. And if I have been considered the bad guy, uh, I can prove I, I'm now at a point where I, I won't re- really say too much. Yeah. 
Which is probably good. I've kind of learned, okay, there's nothing I'm going to say right. that's going to help this person. Um, in fact, anything I say would might be more fuel to the fire. Right. Uh, so I'll just try to listen and say, hey, I can tell you're really upset. Um, I, I'm going to be praying sure. for you. I, I don't know if there's anything I can share that will help you. Right. No, that's great. So um, we're going to go ahead and sign off now, Greg. Great conversation. Indeed, man. And uh, we just rocked the Casbah. Rocked it!